Matthew chapter 26. These final three chapters of Matthew are a large, 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 large narrative. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And frankly, folks, it's a lot harder to preach a narrative than it is a didactic teaching portion. Because we have to look at the narrative and draw from events the significance. What we had earlier in our worship service with this wonderful uh, five, almost five minute presentation on what the church in Pakistan is enduring. The shame of the occupations they are forced to participate in in order to serve their and feed their families. All of these things. It's really a beautiful introduction to this because we find our Lord Jesus Christ choosing shame. Choosing obedience to the Father. Choosing loyalty to His Father. Choosing to serve us in our need even though it brings Him great suffering. Suffering so great we never even in Heaven's Kingdom will be able to get our... How do you get your mind and heart wrapped around one person? Who is Jesus? Jesus, the Nicene Creed, has it absolutely correct. That ancient, ancient, ancient creed. He is true God of true God. True man of true man. Fully God. Fully man. Joined together in one person going to the cross, the sinless one, and bearing all of the lake of fire, all of the hell that the entire human race deserves for an eternity. Because of the nature of His person, the eternality and value of His person, that Hebrew word kavod, that we translate glory, really means heavy. The weight of His person in heaven's view, in His Father's view, the value of His Son outweighs the value, the worth of the entire human race. Therefore, Jesus in His sinlessness can carry our burden. He can receive the penalty for our sin. All of the lake of fire that we deserve for an eternity that can be laid upon Him in a span of time in human history, that's how immeasurably He is in the weight of His person. And be able to say at the close of it, it is finished. It is paid in full. The sin debt of the human race has been paid off. But what was the depth of His suffering that achieved that for us, we will never, 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 never. Perhaps as an act of mercy by God, understand the depth of that suffering. But as we read Matthew 26, 27, and 28, <clears throat> we see all the people around Jesus betraying, fleeing, or engineering what in fact is a judicial murder. 
and the only one in the entire narrative who walks with calmness, with perseverance, through this is Jesus. He pushes through. He pushes through. He pushes through. While everyone around him is trying to engineer his enemies are trying to engineer what he's already told his disciples is going to happen. And so they're trying to make happen what Jesus is saying, well, here I am. Let's get with it. And they're like, oh, we got it. Let's just do it. And it's amazing. Matthew 26, verse 1. Chapters 24 and 25, the, the Olivet Discourse of, on the end of the age, on, the, on what awaits both Israel and the church in its, in its future experience. 26.1, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, this Olivet Discourse, that he said to his disciples, you know, why do they know? Because he's told them repeatedly. You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He started telling them this and he has repeated it. Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some say you're the prophet promised in the Hebrew Scripture. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaking on behalf of all of the apostles, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed son of David, the son of the living God. Peter. Good one. By the way, I'm going to be delivered up to crucifixion. That's the first time he discloses it. But he keeps disclosing it to them. He tells them and he tells them and he tells them. Over and over. You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So he declares that on the Mount of Olives. End quote. Then the chief priests, the scribes, what's going on outside of their sight? Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. What are they doing? They're trying to make happen what Jesus has already said is going to happen. <laughs> plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, not from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, which is pass the official Passover, a really high, high, high holy day. Lest there be an uproar among the people. Even those who are not followers of Jesus might object to doing it, crucifying Him, betraying Him on that day when we are having the Passover. By the way, who is Jesus? What did John the Baptist say of him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Passover Lamb in reality. Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany, now Bethany is basically a suburb of Jerusalem. 
when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at table. Well, this is <coughs> of that week. This is Tuesday night. A couple of nights before, we know this from John's Gospel, Jesus is in the home of Lazarus, whom he had recently raised from the dead. And they're reclining around the table. And Mary does the same thing. She pours this costly oil on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And the apostles get really upset because that's worth 300 denarii. That's 300. That oil was worth a year's 300 days wages. Well, you include the Sabbath in there. That's a year's typical wage that she just went, <laughs> broke that clay container and wiped. That, uh, and they're all upset. Oh, that could have been sold and money given to the poor. Here we have the same thing a couple of days later. This time, not his feet be being anointed, but his head. And this is in the home not of Lazarus, but of Simon the leper. Also in Bethany. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the letter, leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, it's a repeat of what happened a couple of days before, they were indignant saying, why this waste? Well, I would suggest to you that the same fellow who probably led the parade and the... Uh, chant a couple of days before is the same fellow leading the chant here by the name of Judas Iscariot. Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Well, they didn't want to hear that. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. We know from the prophet Zechariah that that is the standard price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. And they gave him the 30 pieces of silver so that he would betray Jesus into their hands. Is this a surprise to Jesus? No. If you read the Gospel of John, the upper room discourse there, Jesus quotes 
from the life experience of David who had a betrayer by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was an Old Testament prophetic picture of Judas and Jesus. Ahithophel was David's closest, closest, most trusted advisor and he betrayed Jesus into the hands of his rebellious son Absalom. And Ahithophel, David quotes, when David later writes a psalm about this, he says, he who eats bread with me, my closest advisor Ahithophel, has lifted up his heel against me. Well, that's the most insulting thing you can do in that culture. And Jesus quotes that in the upper room in the Gospel of John in reference to Judas Iscariot. One of the twelve, Judas, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. So you've got the Jewish leadership already conspiring together for a judicial murder of Jesus. You've got a betrayal taking place from among the twelve. Verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is Thursday night. One of the things we need to be aware of is that, of course, the Jewish day begins at sundown. And so Thursday night is the night before Jesus is going to be it's sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. And then the actual Sabbath and regular Passover is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But this is the night before. This is the 24 hours before the official Passover. But in the days of Jesus and the apostles, <coughs> there were two Passover celebrations that were kept in Jerusalem. And the the first one was during this sundown Thursday to sundown Friday, and it was actually called the Galilean Passover. And the reason, the principal reason for it was that Jerusalem, which was a city of about the size of this town right here, Kerrville, Texas, about 23, 24,000 people in the regular population of, of Jerusalem. But when the, a major feast would be taking place, such as Passover, they would be overwhelmed with people coming from all over the Roman world and outside the Roman world coming to keep Passover in Jerusalem. Well, it became, you've only got so many priests. You only have, you've got the lambs. You've got to inspect and slay and so forth. All these lambs, well, it becomes a logistical problem. And so they kind of stretched things a little bit so they have two official Passovers. There's a super official Passover from Friday, then the real one from Friday sundown to Friday on Saturday till, excuse me, sundown on Saturday. But they had what was called the Galilean Passover from sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. And that is what Jesus and his fellow Galileans are celebrating. So they've come together. This is Thursday night. Now on the first 
day of unleavened bread, but it's the beginning of the, se of the several day feast of unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And as was very, very common in Jerusalem, the people who lived in Jerusalem had a second floor, second story that was a banqueting chamber. And so they could rent it out to people who had come to Jerusalem for the feast. And so it was a way of making some extra pocket money. And Jesus sends his disciples to one of these fellows who is familiar with Jesus. And OK, we're going to be using your facility. And he's fine with that. Obviously, God's hand is on this whole thing. My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. <coughs> So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, this is sundown, immediately after sundown on Thursday evening, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Now, at first, reading that could be discouraging. But actually, I think if we think about it, I'm glad they asked the question. Because the number one trait of a disciple of Jesus is an awareness of their weakness. The people who fall flat on their face as disciples are the ones who think they have the strength. Thank you, Jesus. I've got my traveling orders. I've got my dis I'll now I'll go for it. And then they <laughs> do a face plant. It's those who doubt themselves that then trust Jesus and walk in his strength and success. So I'm actually glad they've said that because it sets them up for future success. Lord, is it I? He answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man, their favorite term for Messiah from Daniel 7, the son of man indeed goes just as it, as it is written of him. The Hebrew scriptures are plain. They have Psalm 22. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have cast lot for my garments. They've given me vinegar to drink. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. I will go exactly as the Hebrew scriptures say I will go. But the Hebrew scriptures also say I will come out of that tomb. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. And woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, he's already in the process. He's already received his 30 pieces of silver. Answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. And as they were eating, 
Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, what, are, what have they just completed? They have just completed the Passover meal. They just had, each had a portion of that lamb on their plate. And they consumed it. But what is Jesus saying? I'm giving you a, an ordinance. I'm giving you something that tells you what John the Baptist said of me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover celebration we're going, that is done annually, we're going to supplant it with a new celebration truly celebration this is my body he's taken the pat the the matzah cracker the unleavened bread which leaven is always a picture of sin when it's used as a metaphor in the bible this is my body i'm the sinless one and i'm broken for you i am going to become the fulfillment of what that passover lamb was a prophetic expression of. Take, eat, this is my body. And eating and drinking in the Bible are used as metaphors for faith. Anyone can believe. Anyone can have faith. There's no moral requirement. You can be the most holy person on the planet and eat or the most wicked person on the planet, and if you're physically normal, in either case, you can eat <laughs> or drink. They're both, eating and drinking are, is a metaphor for faith. Then he took the cup, the cup of Elijah, that was always there at the Passover table. There was always a, an extra seat with no one sitting in it and an extra plate and all of the things that would be for someone to eat the Passover meal. But it was an empty place. This was a Jewish tradition. It's not mandated in the law of Moses. But it was, why? Because Elijah was taken up into heaven without dying. And the scripture says in the close of the prophet Malachi that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so let's have a place at our feast table for Elijah. Well, here is this cup. All the other goblets at the table are empty. But not that one. And Jesus picks up that goblet for Elijah and that becomes the cup that is passed around from which they all drink. Drink. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And if you turn back to Jeremiah 31, Verse 31, you have the beginning of the experience in Jeremiah 31, 31, and in several verses, the new covenant that's coming in 600 years from the time of Jeremiah. I will, because you failed in keeping the Mosaic covenant, God says very specifically, I'm going to create a new covenant. I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more. And Jesus initiates that covenant at the event of his cross. 
This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So the Hebrew scriptures tell us what's going to happen. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Betrayed by Judas, the Jewish leadership doing everything and they're conspiring together to make happen what Jesus has already declared is going to happen. They will in fact be God's instruments in their wickedness to carry out God's purpose. Much of their own chagrin. And now we have Jesus declaring to the apostles the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter, no, 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 not me. And as I would dare say, all or most or all of you know, Peter will utterly, completely fail. But Jesus knows it. And that is to me, in this narrative, the thing that most jumps out to me is Jesus is pushing ahead. We read from Isaiah chapter 50, Prophetically speaking of this time in Jesus' life, you have given me a forehead like flint. And he is pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward. And if you butt heads with him, you're the one that goes to your knees. He will get to that cross. And he will pay sin's penalty for us. And then he will be raised from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father and all authority in heaven and on earth that we've given to him. And he will assemble people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And Satan's problem will explode. Everything that God's enemies purpose to be as an outcome will fail. And the outcome will be what God says it's going to be. And he will, in fact, use his enemies to carry out his will. How much God is your God? How majestic in his power is your God? How wise and, and skillful in the carrying out of his own purpose is he? He's got it all together. All we need to do is walk with him. 
And we too can have by God's mercy, grace, and Jesus' delight and out a Jesus outcome in our life experience. You mean we can be welcomed into heaven's throne room too? Yes! Not because of your performance, but because of Jesus' performance. And he, with that forehead of flint, will force his way through all of the betrayals and denials into the very presence of God and victory for himself and us. I'll take that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the title of this message that I wrote down for myself, it failed to make it into the bulletin, is Jesus the Justified. Everything that he said would happen, everything that the Hebrew Scriptures said would happen about him and around him and to him and as an outcome for him will be done. And that is why we worship you, Jesus, with grateful, grateful hearts that you have done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. And we give you all the praise. You are Jesus, the one who has been justified by the events as they are laid out before us. We give you praise and thanks and ask that this week we will walk with this overwhelming Lord of all things, our Savior Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said,